The Theo Knots, episode 110. The one about the bad news bears. The Theo Knots podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. All right. (laughs) It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Why not? Explore the vast reaches of God's word. <laughs> Hello, all you Theo degenerates. <laughs> I'm David Gay. I'm Jeremiah Orr, and together we are the, the Theo David's over here crunching on his sweet potato uh, mm-hmm. chips of some sort. <laughs> they look pretty good, yeah, and uh, I'm just like, oh, really? You're gonna you're gonna crunch into everybody's ears <laughs> while. Uh, well, Theo and us are going on. So, anyways, how you doing, David? Oh, awesome, man. Good. Doing uh, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, everything's going well as far <laughs> as things go. As far as... <laughs> oh, things are great as far as the things. My, so. uh, my newest grandson had a second birthday. Yeah. And uh, we went over there and had a little Ethiopian birthday party for him. Did you eat raw meat? No. No, Bummer. Ra- no raw meat this What's time, the matter with you? You should have eaten some raw meat. We had we had some uh, cake that was colored after the flag of Ethiopia. Is that green? <laughs> it's like green, uh, red, and I, yellow maybe? Yellow or blue. Mandy's probably listening. She's like, no, you didn't get it right. But... <laughs> but anyway, so we all wore, you know, those colors, bright sure. colors and... Ooh. Had a good time. So Shepherds and his terrible twos. Yep, Is two years terrible? old. Uh, not not extremely terrible. This kid, this Mandy, kid. might disagree with me. Mm. <laughs> Blakely's in her fabulous four months, <laughs> <laughs> starting tomorrow. Four months old. Can you wow. believe that? And she's really coming awake. Oh like my! She's starting goodness. to today. Like she won't go to sleep during the day now. Uh-huh. Like she just can't stand going to sleep, and then. She'll be upset because she's not going to go to sleep. But you try to put her to sleep, and she gets even more upset, right? <laughs> so she's she's angry because she's not asleep, and she's angry because you're trying to put her to sleep. It's so funny wow. because she is so alert. She's like soaking in life. Today I watched her take the pacifier out of her mouth and hold it and wave it around, and I'm like, hmm, that's a new trick. That's you cool. know, that's <laughs> yeah, so cool. It's funny how the little things like oh. you'll notice every little thing for a while. I am. You know? And she's smiley and laughy, and oh, it's perfect. It's amazing. So we had our home study, and that went great. And awesome. we go up before the judge probably in this next month. So mm. And then it'll be finalized. So uh, and It'll be official. It'll be official. She'll be officially an or, even though her she last name's or already, and she yeah. is an or. So awesome. she's, she's amazing. Well, um uh, have, have you been listening to Finding Christ in Cinema? I haven't, man. I've, I haven't been a- had time to do anything they, except for school. They are uh, they're on a roll. They they did uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, uh, because of uh, the passing of, of Gene, Gene Wilder. Yep, and uh, that was a really good show. And then uh, and then they they did uh, Civil War. 
Captain America Ooh. Civil War. And that was really good. That's what, that's one of my favorite shows of theirs so far. Oh, yeah. The, what they did was they took uh, um, Team Iron Man and Team Captain America <laughs> and set them as a metaphor for uh, Team Law and Team Grace. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. So Iron Man's Team Law yeah, and yeah. Captain America's Team Grace. Yeah. Wow. And it's amazing how well it fits together. Oh, it does. Especially in the end there when mm-hmm. you're looking where Tony's like, I'm going to kill you because, you know, because you did this. And Cap's like, no, you got to give him grace, you know. <laughs> That's powerful. Yeah. And well, there's several things in there. Like uh, there's, there's one scene where, you know, Tony's all about um, – about, you know, they need to adhere to this law and, th- and this sort of thing. Well, and then they goof up, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the uh, the attempt. And, and so at one point, Tony says, we'll go get Cap and, right. and them. And the general is like, no, that's okay. So right. it's like, you're benched. Exactly. Screw up one time. You're messed up. Yeah, you're out. You're done. Yeah. So anyway, it was, it was a good show. Uh, uh, it, we, we really enjoyed that. That's awesome. So they're going to be doing a Halloween um, month. So they're doing creepy movies, scary movies, or quasi, you know. I can't wait for kid, that. Kid-related, some of them. But, uh, yeah, they're going to be doing... This is Halloween. They're going to be doing uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, um, which is the bunker movie with... I never Duncan. watched that, yeah. It's pretty good. Is it? It's good. Um, then there... Is that is that the... Uh, is that the sequel to Cloverfield? More or less. It's in the same, um, like, overarching story, I guess. So Cloverfield so, was that monster, right? Correct. So, yeah. And and so, in my opinion, they should have they should have left the name Cloverfield out of the title. Mm-hmm. And just simply, there's one part in the near the end when the mailbox falls over mm-hmm. and it says Cloverfield on it. And right there in front of the camera, and so I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's where they should have just right. dropped the bomb on you and let you know we're in this environment, we're right. in this, it's <laughs> this world, right? Because it would have been a much better shocker, sure, type of thing. But uh, yeah, it, it was good. So uh, yeah, they're going to be doing that. They're they're going to be doing um, uh, s- some classic horror. I think that they're doing the Invisible Man. Oh, I really? Think is what they're doing? Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, I've read the book. I've never. I mean, I've read the classical literature, but I've never. Mm-hmm. Seen it. Oh, dude! I gotta tell you before we get up into our story. Okay, I watched the Michael Fassbender version of Macbeth. Have you Have you seen that? No. The sirens going on. I so know. What's, what's, what's going on with that? <laughs> we just ignore sirens in our town. That's right. Uh, it's no big deal. It's the voluntary fire department getting their jollies. <laughs> We're gonna wreck this in five times. All right. Okay. So that was horrible. So anyway, (laughs) Macbeth is not not necessarily my favorite Shakespeare play. It's one of my favorites. But that was the best rendition of Macbeth that I've seen. Really? And and uh, I mean, did they do it like a theatrical, like a like a play, or did they do it like? Like an actual movie. No, it's actually like a lot of it is set out in the actual field 
Oh, nice. Uh, of Scotland. And they all dress in Scotland, Scotland attire. Time. I mean, it looks like Braveheart. Yeah. Or Vikings or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it has, it has this... Uh, Are the witches creepy? Uh, they're not overly done. Like, they're very subtle. They have, like, scarring on their face to show that they are somewhat uh, occultic. Right. But there's not, you know, there's no warts and there's no... (laughs) They don't even do the Eye of Newt. uh, They don't do the... Cauldron? Uh, No, no, that that, that line's not even in there. Oh. Um, They were very subtle in that type of thing. Like, it didn't go over the top at all. But to me, the best part of it is, well, for one... The, the actors do such a great job bringing the the moral yeah. to life. Like, the whole moral of the story is... Ambition. Ambition will kill you. Right. Like, it will drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, especially your guilt will drive you into the grave right. like it did Lady Macbeth, or drive you mad like it did Macbeth. And so, but anyway, uh, they just did a great job of showing that. But at the end... Instead of it just being a full all-out battle, like you would think, uh, between England and Scotland, right. <clears throat> England, the 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 troops that they they burn the forest around the castle, so the whole field is like on fire and smoke. So all you really see is silhouettes in it, but they're like bright red silhouette. In and oh, wow. and so that whole last scene between Macbeth and Macduff. Is all done in this really stylistic, like glowing red thing. It was really cool. Wow! I was just way impressed with it. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Hmm. So that's interesting. Well, talking about Macbeth, I mean, and you brought it up in in your sermon. Which yes, was I did. Going to be along the same lines as what we're <laughs> we're talking about today. I did. So are you ready to dive in? Hey, let's do it. All right. Okay, well, we're doing a four-part sermon series at The Way, um, and it's kind of funny how these things bleed into our Theonauts because, you know, we get excited about something, and then we're like, oh, we need to do this for Theonauts, too. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's kind of nice whenever we've done the sermon, so we have the stuff. But uh, we're doing a four-part sermon series on salvation, plain Mm -hmm. and simple. Well, actually, the series is called Good News, Right. Okay, Um, which basically is translated, you know, the gospel, what the gospel means is good news. And so, um, why is it good news? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, uh, I have the first two weeks and then David is going to come along and, and, uh, polish up the last two weeks. He's going to finish with, uh, talking about, uh, salvation, baptism and all that fun stuff, which is mm-hmm. really cool. Um, but of course it fell on me to bring the bad news because, uh, you have to hear the bad news before you can understand <laughs> and accept the good news. And everybody understands that. But um, really what I did a focus on uh, for the bad news was this concept, this idea of original sin, mm-hmm. where it came from, what it means, original sin. Now, when most people hear the word original, they think the first. So whenever people hear original sin, they think the first sin, and they think Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. But that's actually not what original sin, the theological term, means. Original sin, the theological term, actually means um, it means where sin comes from. 
um, where or it originates. where it originates. So mm-hmm. original sin within us is what mm-hmm. the, what that that theological term's talking about. And in order to understand that, we need to go all the way back, um, and we could go back to Adam and Eve. But I'm going to go a little bit forward from that, and I'm just I'm going to go to the early church age, and we're going to talk about the great debate between a dude by the name of Pelagius and a dude by the name of Augustine, um, or Augustine, however you want to pronounce his name. Uh, I like Augustine, personally. But uh, anyways, um, so... So did someone get punched in the face? No. Not this time. It wasn't that drastic. Only they got kicked out of the church and everything got burned. So, not that bad. I'm joking. <laughs> a punch in the face might have been better. <laughs> yeah, might have been. Pelagius probably wanted that by the end of it. <laughs> So, um, Augustine wrote a prayer uh, back in the day, and um, the prayer, and I I quoted it wrong from the pulpit, so I probably need to change that, but the prayer... It's only immortalized on videotape. Exactly, not a big deal, but the prayer actually said this, God, what thou commandest, um, sorry, God grant what thou commandest, and command what thou dost desire. God grant what thou commandest and command what thou dost desire. Okay? Which is a big fancy words. It basically means God command whatever you're going to command, right? And then allow us to be able to do, right? Mm-hmm. Right. What you're going to command. So Pelagius had no problem with the second part of that, which was command what you desire. Okay, he yeah. he understood that totally. He believed just like all good Christians at this time, and this is around five hundred between four and five hundred A.D. Right? Um, he believed that that God's uh, God was in ultimate control, um, um, and that He commanded righteousness of His followers. Okay, right. Um, so command what you will, which is righteousness, but then grant what you command. That first part, Pelagius was like, oh, hold on a second. So what you're saying is that it's up to God in order for us to do anything good. Mm-hmm. Basically, what you're saying is <clears throat> that God is going to have to do the good on our behalf. That I can. So he's, he's basically arguing, what do you mean I can't obey God? Right. I can obey God. I have the Ten Commandments. I want to obey God. I'm going to obey I've God. I've kept it from my youth up. Exactly. <laughs> and so uh, this guy, Pelagius, he, he really, um, he, wrote a, he wrote a treatise against that statement against Augustine saying, no, people are not flawed. People are naturally good. Mm-hmm. And they naturally can obey God's law. Well, Augustine saw it completely different. He said that people are naturally flawed. From birth, people are naturally messed up, jacked up way. And so the question arises, which one of these is right? Because you hear both sides of this, even in the church, I believe. You hear people saying, well, you know, you're you're basically a good person. Right, right. right. And then you hear other people say, no, you're, you're messed up, right? <laughs> you need Jesus. So uh, which one of these is correct? And uh, which one of these is the biblical uh, truth. And so that leads us, if we search Scripture and we really see what Scripture says in the, in the gospel narrative, uh, we see this idea of the sin nature come mm-hmm. out. Okay? So original sin, sin nature, these are both interchangeable. We're a product of a fallen world. That's right. 
Um, so what is sin? What is the sin nature? I believe, I, I think the easiest terminology for sin for me, and we've done a Theonauts on sin before. Yeah. Um, but I believe that the best way to describe sin is anything that uh, goes against God's will mm-hmm. for your life. Anything that goes against God's desires for your life. Okay. And so the sin nature basically means when given the choice to choose God's will or our own, we will naturally be bent towards choosing our own will. Right. So we're naturally bent towards choosing... <clears throat> and it's not just God's will, it's any other, any, anybody else's. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we are all about taking care of number one. And even the secular secular uh, uh, philosophy gets this. Yeah. Right? I mean... The id. Right. Mas- right. Uh, was, it Ma- uh, was it Maslow that did the, the hierarchy of needs? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you've got like right there the the base of that is me ego you know and so that's like the the a number one thing that has to be taken care of in in every situation is myself right so you are naturally inclined to focus on yourself above everything else okay and that's what I think screams the truth of the sin nature if you just look around in our world mm-hmm. um, the Bible kind of says it like this, we're slaves, okay? Um, Paul in Romans 6, uh, and I'm going to jump to Romans 6, uh, verse 16 through 19. If you want to pull up your Bible so that I can keep this other thing yeah, open, I can do that. that would help. Romans 6, uh, 16 through 19. It says, uh, this is the NLT. Okay. The NLT. Well, then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? course not. Don't you realize that you've become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you are wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Uh, now you are free from your slavery to sin and have become slaves to righteous living. Okay, so Paul makes Paul's in the middle of this great uh, theological book, <clears throat> right, where he yeah. lays down his his Christ theology, and uh, and he says this statement: "You were once slaves to sin." So, what does it mean to be a slave to sin? Uh, well, Jesus, just like what we were talking about last week with the whole idolatry thing, right? That, you know, we end up serving other things. Right. Jesus says it like this in John eight thirty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Um, so what is a slave? A slave is somebody who uh, obeys the will of a master, right? <clears throat> right. Um, and we've qu- I've quoted this guy so many times because I think it's, it's perfectly true. Uh, you know, um, Bob Dylan says you're going to serve somebody. And that's the truth. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look in your life, you will serve somebody. And that might be yourself. You might live to serve yourself. And if that's the case, then you're a slave to sin. Yep, to your own To your own desires, will, your own needs. desires. That's right. So we are slaves to sin. In other words, we are um, bound in chains and shackles and controlled by our master, which is selfish desire or sin. And it tells us where to go, and it tells us what to do. Now, most people are happy 
living their whole lives as slaves to <coughs> sin. They think that they're happy. Yeah. Living their whole lives as slaves to sin, right? Um, what are you telling me? I'm a slave. I do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. Well, if that's the case, then you're a slave to yourself. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you do whatever you want to do when you mm-hmm. want to do it. You're a slave to yeah. yourself. It's so, just like as we were saying last week, all that, all that you're free from is righteousness. Right. That's what you're free from. Exactly. Which uh, one leads to death and the other one <laughs> leads to glory. Yeah. And so uh, look up Romans seven fourteen through 25 real quick for me. Romans 7, verse 14 mm-hmm. to 25. I'm going to read this one in um, the NCV, just because I really like the way it words it. Okay. Uh, give me one second here to switch over. The new century. Century, centuries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am not spiritual since sin rules me. As if I were its slave. Okay, stop right there, and let's talk about Paul okay. here. He says, <laughs> I am not spiritual. I live as if sin rules me, as if I were its slave. Yeah. Right there is that sin nature we're talking about. Sin rules over you. You are its slave. It's yep. your master. Okay, keep going. He says, I do not understand the things I do. I do not do what I want to do, and I do the things I hate. If I do not want to do the hated things I do, that means I agree that the law is good. But I am not really the one who is doing these hated things. It is sin living in me that does them. Yes, I know that nothing good lives in me. I mean, nothing good lives in the part of me that is earthly and sinful. I want to do the things that are good, but I do not do them. I do not do the good things I want to do, but I do the bad things I do not want to do. So if I do things I do not want to do, then I am not the one doing them. It is sin living in me that does those things. So I have learned this rule. When I want to do good, evil is there with me. In my mind, I am happy with God's law, but I see another law working in my body, which makes war against the law of my mind that my mind accepts. The other law working in my body is the law of sin, and it makes me its prisoner. What a miserable man I am. Who will save me from the body that brings me death? I thank God for saving me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful self, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Okay, so Paul is juxtapositioning Two different slave uh, analogies here, yeah. right? In his mind, he's a slave to the law, but in his body, in his physical mm-hmm. nature, he is his natural self. This whole idea of nature yeah. plays out a great deal in this. And I think physical, whenever I think of sin, I think it, it begins with a physical thing. Mm-hmm. When you look at sin, what are most of the time, what is what are what are the sins that you're you're struggling with? And they all stem from a physical yeah. desire. Yeah, yeah. Whether it be sex, where whether it be overeating, mm-hmm. whether it be tired and so yeah, your, your hobbies, the things you enjoy, the, the fun things. Exactly. Right? And and so uh these are physical things that feed your flesh and your flesh has within it this sin nature, mm-hmm. right? Which makes you absolutely selfish. And so Paul says I am a slave in my physical side to sin. 
and I'm I'm striving, and I hate the fact that I end up doing those things that I don't want to do. Yeah. Um, and this is something I don't believe that goes away as soon as you get saved. By the way, well, I don't uh, think it goes away at all. Right until glory. I mean, look at Paul. We 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 lift Paul up on a pedestal, yeah. right? And look, he could not. I mean, he admitted that I am going to have to live with this. Right. The thing is, my mind has to be set on the things above. Yes. I've got to be aiming that direction. I've got to be traveling in that direction, yes. even though I may slip and fall and I may be drugged down. In, in, uh, I think we, we, we talked about this before and used the, the analysis of an airplane. Yeah. That yeah, you, There's two laws at work on an airplane, the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics. So... Aerodynamics says if you get going fast enough and you get your wings out there far enough, you're going to be able to supersede this law of gravity. But ultimately, gravity will pull you back down because you're going to run out of fuel and that sort of thing. The trick is get fueled back up and get back into the air. Don't don't just hang out on the ground. Right. Um, It reminds me also of um, uh, I love Robert Louis Stevenson's. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the strange mm. case of Dr. Jekyll yes. and Mr. Hyde. That, um, and it's been made into horror movies and everything else, but it's really not a horror story when you when you actually read it. It's more of a mystery about what what is happening with this guy. It's being told through the lens of his friend right. who is seeing less and less of, of uh, Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll. And, and doesn't know, but he encounters this man, Mr. Hyde, on occasion, who is like... The uh, uh, how Robert Louis Stevenson described Hyde was no boundaries, right? Like th- there was no inhibitions with Hyde. He he would do. He had no moral constraints, and he had no social bounds. Right. He would do whatever he wanted to do, and so he'd Correct. walk down the street, and knock down the guy. Yeah, just uh, didn't matter. Didn't care to him. It didn't matter. He killed someone. It didn't. None of that mattered to him. Right. Uh, in fact. He was elated with the freedoms, quote unquote, that he had while he was Hyde. So much so it became like a drug. So he would take the potion to become Hyde yeah. more and more, even though he hated Hyde. Right. Jekyll hated him. He wrote in his memoirs, I don't, I'm losing control. I can't stop being this guy. Right. I can't quit. I can't quit being this evil thing I don't want to be. Mm. And of course, it ends up with it consuming him until he dies in this laboratory. But, uh, but anyway, it's the same concept. Sure. It's a great illustration of the duality of our of our inner self, and, right? And dealing, and, you with know, this. and and as followers <clears throat> of Christ, it's something that we'll struggle with until we die. Mm-hmm. There's no way to, uh, to to completely conquer it. The goal is to struggle against it, and that's you know that's what Paul's talking about. But beyond that, uh, going back to it, there are people who don't struggle at all, and those are people just caught in this in nature mm-hmm. that haven't surrendered to Christ. And so Paul says, I see within me two warring parties, but the reality is, is when you're born, you only have one. Yeah. Right? And this one is saying, do whatever you want, it's your natural sin nature, mm-hmm. right? And it dwells within your flesh. So uh, we are slaves to sin. That's the point. We, you know, we uh, from um, from the time that we're born, are slaves to sin. And uh, I can't stress that whole from the time we're born thing. Um, so I pulled out a, a quote from Charles Spurgeon uh, that I think 
fits this perfectly. He says, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. Mm. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. Um, so this whole idea <laughs> of being saturated by sin, well, we look at the world and we see that we're, we are saturated with sin. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but every time, every week, I, I read the news with Theonauts, and, uh, and I have to shift through so much bad stuff yeah. uh, that's happening in the world. The world is saturated with sin, saturated with selfishness. And then I look at myself, and I go, man, I am saturated with sin. I'm saturated with selfishness. It's horrible. It's this terrible truth. And um, uh, so I was watching a... A Mythbusters a uh, long time ago. <laughs> and uh, it just blew me away watching this thing because uh, they were they were testing out all these urban myths, and one of them was uh, uh, your toothbrush. Yeah. If you set your toothbrush <laughs> by the toilet, when you flush the toilet, fecal matter flies up in the air, which actually happens anyways. Uh, <laughs> that's so gross. Anyways, so fecal matter flies up in the air. Every time you flush your toilet, and it gets over everything, including your toothbrush. So when you brush your teeth, you're brushing your teeth, and there's fecal matter on your toothbrush. So they did this thing to test how much that that was really true. So they put a toothbrush in the bathroom right above the toilet, and they put another one in a case wrapped up and put in the kitchen. Okay? And they kept them there for a week. And at the end of the week, they took them both out, and they tested them, and they found out, lo and behold, surprise, surprise, the same amount of fecal matter that was on the <laughs> toilet toothbrush was on the one in the kitchen. Mm. Now, that's disgusting, and it brings <laughs> to light this absolutely amazing point. We are covered in crap. And don't even know it. And don't even know it. Yeah. Right? The reality is, is this world is saturated with sin. You look at the tsunamis that, that happen. You look at the earthquakes. You look at what's happening uh, with Haiti right now. Uh, and pray for them, by the way. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the hurricane that's about to hit. There. Matthew. Um, about yeah, to come Hurricane Matthew. Them. And that's scary. You look at all the death. You look at all the disease. You look at all the hurt, the pain. This is all a result of sin saturating the world. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. It's it's a result of the fall. Right. And so we need to realize that that all men are guilty. There's none righteous, no, not one. Right? Right. Uh, there's no one that seeks after God. The truth is we're born into this. Uh, Romans 5, 12. Just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin... And so sin spread through all men. Yeah, there's nobody that's exempt from this this idea of sin. It's like, it's like a skin disease. Imagine you have a skin disease, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so what you do is you try to hide that skin disease as best you can. You know, so if wear long sleeves, you wear long sleeves. You put your hood up, right? You, you cover yourself, and then you walk around pretending that you don't have it. But you know. Mm -hmm. Underneath that, that shirt lies your disease. And everybody walks around as if they don't have this 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 disease. Right. You know, we walk around pretending that that uh you know we're perfect. And the truth is there's nobody that's perfect. And everybody can say, Oh, there's nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. But yeah, unless you're serious about that and specific about your sin. Well, and 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 it's really weird because people can be completely 
hypocritical and not even realize it. Right. And this is one of the things that that I got in, into debates with in the past. It's like uh, a hypocrite, someone who says one thing and does another. That's not me. Well, you just proved my <laughs> point. It's like uh, okay. I'm not a liar. That's like saying I'm not a liar. That's so funny to me. It's like that's not me. I didn't do that. Yeah. It's like, well, uh, yeah, you kind of did. I mean, you just did that. <laughs> you just, just did literally. And uh, but the <laughs> but the point is, hypo- hypocrisy doesn't. I mean, we think we, a lot of times we get it in our head that it's a purposeful thing. Like I know I shouldn't be doing this. I'm gonna do it anyway. And so that makes me a hypocrite. No, most hypocrites don't even realize they're hypocrites. Right. Because they're so busy focusing on other people's problems and not their own. Right. Or seeing where other people are wrong and not looking upon their own theology or their own doctrine that they, um, they're completely oblivious to how they're treating people. Right. And how they're acting. And, and, And it's like, you know, you might look at someone and say, well, that's not a Christian because blah, 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 blah. You just read that person's heart, right? No. <laughs> you just observed right. observed them, and because something that they did didn't match your specific sensitivities, then all of a sudden you've passed right. this judgment on them. It's crazy. So, yeah, um, I mean, one of my favorite uh, scriptures is David in Psalm 51 after he's he's committed this horrible sin with Bathsheba. And by the way, David is another one that people hold up. In fact, the Jews hold him up in very high regard. They think that he's, uh, you know, um, uh, they pray for his kingdom to come back, basically. They think he was the greatest, but, you know, even he was a murderer and an adulterer. Yeah. Um, And so in Psalm 51, you have his confession, right? And in Psalm 51.3, he says this amazing statement. He says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, that screams out the truth that you know we're all born into that. Uh, Isaiah fifty three six, all we like sheep have gone astray. Yeah, it's so true, and uh, you know the the point is that we realize that you know we need to understand. Okay, so the results of sin. Uh, C. S. Lewis, another good quote. Yeah, there are only two kinds of people in the end: those who say to God, "Thy will be done," and those to whom God says in the end, "Thy will be done." I love that quote. Mm-hmm, when, mm-hmm. when you think about it, the truth is this is absolutely there. Uh, we can either do God's will or we can choose our will. Yeah. And uh, the sin nature tells us to choose our will, right? Uh, so the results of the sin, sin separates and if us. And if our will is basically to not obey God or not, not to follow after God, then our will is to be away from Him. Right. And in the end, in eternity... That's basically what hell is. is God it, says, that's, here you go. That's a separation, a permanent, a permanent separ- separation. That's happening. right. And so it's interesting that you bring in that word separation because I believe that that's what sin is. Mm-hmm. More than anything else, sin is the ultimate separator. Right. right. Um, sin separates us from God. Uh, Isaiah 59, 2, and I pulled this out, and it's kind of interesting. There are not okay. So I, when I was writing the sermon, there's not a ton of scripture that actually comes out and says that sin literally separates us from God. But yeah. there are a ton of examples that show that truth. Yeah, and implications everywhere. Yes, that's right. So we have, um, well, all over the Old Testament, you have men who, when they 
either see God or come in the presence of God and they're unclean, they die immediately. Yes, right? like Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu. Uh, you have the... Uzzah. Yeah. Isaiah was scared it was going to happen to him. Right. Isaiah 6, uh, woe is me from a man of unclean lips. You have all those different you know, pictures. Uh, Isaiah 59.2 says this, It is your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. And I think the best picture of this would be the Garden of Eden itself, right? Yeah. Uh, The idea where uh, um, Adam and Eve sin, and before this, God would actually walk with them in the cool of the garden, or the cool of the evening in the garden. And after that, God kicks them out of the garden, kicks them out of his presence, is the idea, right? Right. Where and uses a an angel with a fire. Yeah, you used to, to do you so. used to walk around with me, and now you can't anymore. Exactly, and that's that's the you know that was the big thing right there. Sin separates us from God. Um, sin separates us from each other, um, and you see this played out all through Scripture too. Right after uh, Adam and Eve, you have the story of Cain and Abel, right? Where because of Cain's sin. He kills his brother Abel. So that's a big separator there. You have the story... Well, that definitely separated people. Right. <laughs> it did, physically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you also have the story of, like, Joseph and his brothers. You have the story of uh, Abraham uh, and Hagar, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, you, so you can go through all the patriarchs, and you can see Jacob and Esau, brothers uh, estranged from each other because of sin. Right. Here's the. I, I was looking for this verse earlier. Yes. It, it's, it's a decent one about sin separating us okay. from God. And it's Habakkuk 1, verse 13. It says uh, in the New Living Translation, But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Mm. Um, and ESV says you are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Yes, and that's the truth. God uh, will not, chooses not to look upon evil. So that's kind of the, the definition of separate. Right. Uh, I think the best. <laughs> I can't look at you. I think the best illustration I can use uh, would be the tabernacle, where there's the holy of holies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's where God's. God's throne room was basically on earth. And the idea is that God's presence dwelled between the cherubim, right? On the, on the mercy seat. And, um, nobody was allowed into that Holy of Holies. There was a gigantic curtain that separated everyone else from that Holy of Holies. And only the high priest, after he'd done the rituals of consecration, consecration, yeah, yeah. he was allowed in there one time a year, right? And this is how Nadab and Abihu died, by the way. Exactly. They weren't clean whenever they went into God's presence. Yes. And so that that alone is is a great picture of God not being able to be where the people are because of their sin. Mm-hmm. Separates us from God. And it ultimately, if we don't trust in the sacrifice of Christ, we'll continually it's, And it's even theorized God. that the reason why there was darkness upon the earth in the middle of the day when Jesus was crucified That's right. was God separating himself from Christ yes. for the first time in his existence. Um, and which, if, if that's the case then that would have to be the most painful part of the process. Sure. That's so. right. Because they existed together in eternity. 
Yeah, I mean, and think about the wail of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. That's a lament of that separation. Yeah, that's true. All right, uh, sin brings physical and spiritual death, Romans 6.23. Everybody knows this. For the mm-hmm. wages of sin is death, right? Uh, and that's that's the truth. That separation brings death. When everything's cut off from God, it brings death. That's the reason we have the law of entropy. Right, right. <laughs> is because of sin, okay? Everything goes to waste. Everything goes to waste because of sin. Um, and then the last one, uh, sin demands a sacrifice. Mm. Um, blood is demanded for sin. Uh, Hebrews 9.22 says, For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. So it demands a sacrifice. There must be a blood blood penalty yeah, for Yeah, price it. must be paid for your, in, for your indiscretion. That's right. So sin, uh, the penalty of sin is is death is is the blood mm-hmm. uh, sacrifice, and so we all stand condemned before God, right? Right. Um, because of sin, and uh, and because of the sin nature, because we're born into the <clears throat> sin nature. Um, I think a great picture here, if we, you know, as as a uh, if we were to uh, sum up a moral of the story. John 9 is the story of Jesus and the blind man. Yeah. And it's this really great story about Jesus being born, Jesus uh, walking down the street and seeing this blind man who's blind from birth, right? And the blind man, uh, Jesus' disciples asked him the question, oh, so so who sinned to cause him (laughs) his blindness? Did his parents sin or did he sin? What happened? And God, or Jesus says, you know, it's not about the sin, it's... It's really about me showing my glory, and so that my yeah. glory will be shown in this. In other I, words, it's not anyone's fault. It's uh, other than maybe Adam's. It's right. the fallen nature. It's the natural way right. things are because of our sin nature. Yeah, it's the truth of it. And the the other meaning he had in this was, I'm about to show my power in yeah, this yeah. in this dude, right? So he spits on the ground. He makes a salve, right? And he puts it on this guy's eyes and all of a sudden he can see. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tells him to go wash. Right. Oh, yeah. It tells him to go wash yeah. in the pool of uh, Siloam. Thank you. And then all of a sudden he can see. And then, so the Pharisees come around like they've been doing, <laughs> hounding Jesus. Yeah, what's up with you? <laughs> all right. All, all throughout John, all throughout the John narrative, uh, the Pharisees have been coming around hounding Jesus about healing people on the Sabbath. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they they basically tell the blind dude, Jesus is not from God because he heals people on the Sabbath, which is stupid. I mean, right. honestly, right. just the stupidest thing in the world. And then I love the blind man's response because he basically goes, "Whatever you say, uh, all I know is I was blind and now I see, <laughs> so I'm going to follow this guy because he's the yeah, one that like healed you, me." Until you can one up that, right? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you can make me a better offer. <laughs> right. Then maybe we'll, we can talk. But at the end of John 9, Jesus says this really interesting statement. He says, I've come to make the blind see and the see be blind, the seeing be blind. Mm-hmm. And what he means by that, he's talking about the Pharisees there, right? Because the Pharisees immediately say, Are we blind? <laughs> right? 
Yeah, they weren't dummies. Right. And Jesus <laughs> says, well, if you were blind, you would know it. Or no, if you were something like that. I can't remember exactly. I got to. All right. Look up the last part of John because this is too priceless. Okay. What Jesus says. John 9. Do you know about where that is in there? It's the very last couple verses in John 9. Okay. Hang on a second here. Sorry. No, <laughs> Should have had it queued up, but I didn't. Okay, Jesus replied, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now, because you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Right. And that's the point, I think, more than anything. You see, these Pharisees, they relied on this whole law. They're, they were like Pelagius, mm-hmm. right, who said, yeah. I can follow the law. Yeah. I'll do this thing. Not so they, a problem. Yeah, not a problem. I will I will do all the great, wonderful things that the law tells me to do, and I will pretend that I am perfect. So they put on the long shirt, and they cover, cover themselves up with a hoodie, and they pretend to be perfect. And Jesus has this answer for them. And he's like, because you're pretending this, you're playing this game, mm-hmm. right? First uh, John 1, nine says, he who says he's without sin makes God a liar, right? And right, the truth right. is not in him. And the reality is, is these Pharisees, they're pretending. Mm-hmm. They're pretending. They're being hypocritical. They're pretending that they have no sin. And because of that, because they choose not to acknowledge their sin, they don't acknowledge their need for a savior, right? Which is the whole point of First John. Um, well, really, First John in general, but right. the the first few verses there. I mean, he nails that point home. Verse eight, nine, and ten. Right. I mean, verse eight is like if you say you don't have a sin, you're a liar. Truth isn't in you. Verse nine says, but if you confess your faults. He's faithful. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yes. But if you say you don't have any sin, right. then you're a liar. Yeah. You know, you've made God a liar. So it's like it's it's actually uh, he, Hebrew poetry. It's a poetic structure um, where you sandwich this these truths truth mm-hmm. in order to drive home this this point. Right. And I've heard a lot of people use verse nine completely by itself to make it sound like uh, no, it's commanding prayer. That's commanding like right there. <laughs> You have to pray for forgiveness of every single sin no. you commit, blah, blah, blah. And that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is you have to acknowledge yeah. your place with God. Exactly. You've got to acknowledge your need for a Savior, for a forgiver. Well, that's for- the point. And it, it makes, it's all it is, is it makes total sense. Think about this for a second. So I had, I learned this truth better than anything one time whenever I uh, uh, had to get stitches. Mm-hmm. Right. So whenever I was a young man, like I'm 22, and uh, I was in a hurry to go play basketball with some friends, and I jumped in the truck and I fell back out. <laughs> I put my elbow through the window. <laughs> and when I did that, I cut, I had a deep cut that you could see wow. the bone in my you know, elbow. And so I'm like, ah, crap. Now I have to go to the hospital. So I go to the hospital. I don't have any money. I'm a college student. So I go to the hospital, and it's like 800 bucks or something like that, which is ridiculous, to get my elbow stitched right. up. And they put two stitches in my elbow. <laughs> I should have super glued the dang thing, but I didn't do that. Anyway, so they put two stitches in my elbow. And then I'm like, so, Doc, these are the ones that, like, will dissolve, right? I can just – he's like, no, you're going to have to come back and get those out. And it's an extra $200. I'm like, 
I'm not doing that. I ain't doing it. That's ridiculous, <laughs> right? So I wait a couple weeks, and I'm like, okay, it's pretty healed up. So I take, uh, I take scissors, and I go in the bathroom. And it, remember, it's on my elbow. So I'm looking <laughs> at my elbow in a in a mirror, and I'm trying to cut these stitches to pull them out. Well, I get the first one, and I get it out. And I'm like, yay, that's awesome. The second one, I can't for the life of me cut. So I think, you know, it's fine. It's just fine. It'll just stay there, and skin will grow over it, and I'll be fine. <laughs> so I leave that sucker in there, right? Now, I work for Parks and Rec. I'm mowing all day long, uh, besides going to school. And so, like, after, like, two and a half weeks, I mean, this thing starts to just ache. Like, it's hurting. Every time I move my elbow... I'm feeling it, right? It's yeah. got pus. It's like oh, yeah. gross. It's just nasty. And I'm like, okay, so I probably shouldn't have ignored this. If I would have just gone to the doctor and been like, okay, I need this taken out, it wouldn't have had a problem. But because I ignored it, I had to end up cutting that sucker back open, right? Oh, man. And cutting that that stitch out. And I learned a val- valuable lesson from that. I learned that I need to confess when I have a problem. Yeah. That's so, it's just simple. We need to open up and be real. Pride gets in the way. About who we are as people. Yeah. If we confess our sins, man, that's all we got. We're blind. We're born blind. And we need Jesus to open up our eyes. And so, you know, the sin nature, it's horrible. It's <clears throat> terrible. But it's not unconquerable because Jesus conquered it. Yeah. Through, through his blood, his sacrifice on the cross. Tune in next time. That's right. For the good news. <laughs> Tune in next time for the good news. Yeah, don't, don't give up on the Theonauts after this episode. <laughs> That's right. Or <laughs> you're just going to be bummed. Yeah, you just don't know what's going to happen. That's you know the I truth. mean, <laughs> we can pull a Paul Harvey. Right. And now, the, the rest, rest of the story. Of the story. Exactly. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, you want to do some news? Yep. All right. And now, the news. Well, archaeologists have just found one of King Hezekiah's toilets, and it may prove the Bible. Yes! Go toilets! I, I knew that was... I, I, I knew that if we could just find the toilet, right. it would be all right. Uh, the toilet was found in a room of a multi-chambered gate that may have once been a shrine. Nearby were small altars to cult figures which appeared to have been intentionally damaged. Their, quote, horned corners had been smashed, Mm. according to the Times of Israel. It looks like ancient Israelite rulers installed a toilet in the altar room as a way of desecrating idols to false gods. Yeah. As it turns out... It's a common thing. Yeah, this exact scenario is mentioned in the Old Testament. 2 Kings 10.27 says that the Israelite forces had previously demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal, and people have used it for a latrine to this day. Mm -hmm. Because once you desecrate it, it can never be, like even in their pagan religions, they can't use it as a holy thing anymore. Right. Absolutely. So that's pretty interesting. They found this toilet, 2,000 years old, in an old temple, which is pretty cool. Awesome. All right. A school in a uh, school district in Portland, Oregon, has recently approved an after-school Satan club at hey. Sacramento's elementary school. <laughs> the program directly opposes evangelical materials now creeping into their schools and promotes free inquiry uh, and rationalism, according to their website. Gather around, children. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna learn you something. <laughs> the program begins October nineteenth, just in time for Halloween. Washington Post had obtained a sample of the letter of the Satanic Temple is sending to schools across West Coast from L.A. to Portland, which you can read. They, basically, it says, Many school districts across the country, including yours, have or have had good news clubs using their facilities. As a result, <laughs> it's the bad news club. Right. As a result, <laughs> those schools have opened their doors. the bad news bears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. As a result, those schools have opened... Uh, their doors to school clubs of all religious viewpoints. While the Good News Club is working together with parents and the schools to build solid moral and spiritual character into the <laughs> lives of their children based on their religious point of view, the Satanic Temple also has plans to enrich the lives of children in your district. But mom, I'm working on my child sacrifice badge. <laughs> That's nuts. Uh, <laughs> the after-school Satan Club will be held in the same time uh, and day as the Good News Club, a previously established after-school club promoting dis- uh, discipleship in the gospel. Wow, that's so messed up. It's Satan. That's all it is. Of course, it's a Satanic Club. Um, megachurch pastor Andy Stanley has found himself in the middle of a theological controversy. Surprisingly, this is the second time we've talked yes. about Stanley's and his controversies. Okay, the drama started back in August 7 when Stan- Stanley preached a sermon called The Bible Told Me So as part of a sermon series called Who Needs God? The name of the sermon, which was uh, about the role of the Bible should play in the life of Christians, comes from the old children's song Jesus Loves Me. Stanley explained, Many of you were brought up to believe this Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This is where our trouble began because the implication is, and this is important, the implication is the Bible is the reason we believe. Uh, in other words, I can believe Jesus loves me because it's in the Bible. I grew up in church where basically the byline, the subtitle for everything was, if the Bible says it, that settles it. And so we send kids off to college with, if the Bible says it, that settles it. And all of a sudden they realize, oh my goodness, they didn't set, that didn't settle it. The problem with that is, if the Bible is the foundation of our faith, as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. Christianity cannot survive if somehow every single part of the Bible isn't absolutely true if the Bible is the foundation of our faith. Okay, I don't get that. Yeah. What happened to Sola Scriptura? I don't know. Because if that's not the basis, well, then you end up exactly where the Reformation was coming from when they wrote Sola Scriptura into their... My, into their mantra. I think he just confused himself. Because it's like, when okay. He was talking. So, it, so now you've opened up the door to prophets to say, well, no, that's not how it is. I just talked to God. Right. And it's like this instead. Basically, what he was saying is too many Christians put the Bible on the same level as God, I guess. Well, he, I can see that. You can worship the Bible, the book mm-hmm. over the creator of the book. All right. He also discouraged a version of Christianity that is a house of cards that falls apart if we try, if we find out certain possible historic or scientific. But that's details a horrible example he used. Like, yeah, uh, for example, the as simple as that little child's song is, mm-hmm. it's so theologically accurate. Yeah. Like it's apologetics. I don't just believe that Jesus loves me. I know that he does because sola scriptura. Right. Because <laughs> the Bible is accurate and the Bible tells me this. Wow. 
All right, so this was his... So people were outraged by that, by the way. So he uh, made a rebuttal. He said, The confusion related to my most recent series stems from a more methodology than theology. He said that he doesn't preach from notes and that his delivery can be confusing. A technique that is sometimes confusing for the occasional viewer is my habit of saying what I suspect skeptics are thinking about something I'm saying. In my effort to state their assumptions, I sometimes sound as if I share their assumptions. Okay. I don't know about that. <laughs> All right, Andy. Dude, here's my... I like him, though. I do, too. <laughs> He's great. He's just... Uh... He's got foot and mouth disease. He does. <laughs> and this is one of my problems. I'm just... I'm going to get on but a hey, that, this is this fits right in with our fallen nature. Right. We all have foot and mouth disease from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Is Andy Stanley Charles Stanley's son? I think so. See, and that's I, I have okay. heard that before. I'm I'm googling this because <laughs> I don't want to say something unless I know it's true. <laughs> but even if it isn't, this is one of my problems with uh, rock star Christians or rock star yeah, yeah. preachers. Yeah. Um, Andy Stanley, yeah, he's Charles Stanley's son. Okay, and he's a great guy, but you know the reason why he's preaching is because he's Charles Stanley's son, right? And Charles Stanley's this rock star preacher, and so Andy Stanley's this rock star Mm -hmm. preacher, and that's the problem we have here, folks. I is is this whole idea that these guys can be like these amazing, perfect, you know, people, and uh, so we need to, you know, give them some grace. I think. Yeah, I agree. For Andy, it's just foot. I mean. Yeah, I've. I mean, here we are. We, of course, we're talking to the public. Oh, How yeah. many times have we? Oh, all goofed the time. Up? So, I walk away from sermons sometimes. I'm like, why did I say that? What did I do? <laughs> like, what's the matter with me? It's just a good thing that we're not in some Christian publication getting like slammed down. Oh yeah, you definitely. know. Yeah, Jeremiah of the Theonauts <laughs> had this to say Saturday. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyways. All right. So a new study released by the Leadership Network and the Van Dorlman Search Group has looked at the salary trends of uh, 1,200 churches with regular attendance of 500 or more people throughout the U.S. and Canada and found that almost half of their entire budget goes to paying staff. Wow. The survey looked at the salaries of the churches of different sizes across the country with the attendance of 2,000 people or more, found that 49% of the church's total budget goes to salary and benefits for its staff, with 98% of the church's total budget comes from money the congregation gives. It also found that 54% of churches give bonuses to their senior pastor within the last 12 months. Uh, only about half, 52%, spent more than 10% of their budget on ministry beyond their own congregation from local soup kitchens to world missions and church planning. Wow. So 10% of their budget went to outreach or church stuff outside the the church. Hmm. Knowledge about salaries is generally pretty uh, secretive, with 81% of the churches saying that only a small group of people know about the specific salary of the pastoral staff, which is kind of crazy to me. I think everybody ought to know that. Yeah. but Well, you know... uh, you missed our meeting on Sunday night, but uh, uh, Brian put together a good little um, chart about all of our expenses at the way uh-huh. that we're going to public uh, publicly put out there, and it's it's pretty cool. 
I mean, it's <laughs> is it? Yeah, it it shows like right now. I mean, Lord ninety percent. Lord willing, we can keep this up. Right. There's like sixty percent of what we've spent has been uh, benevolence, missions, outreach. It's all been that's awesome. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. So, I you know, and I love that. I think that that's a uh, that that's a needed thing. So, anyways, that's all I got. I don't have any Pope news or. Uh, Oh man, churches. It's okay because we have awesome. Is it real voicemail? It is real voicemail. Hey, sweet. So here we go. David Boy, <laughs> Jeremiah, it's your boy Brendan from the Finding Christ in Cinema podcast. I just finished the episode on idolatry, and I, I just had a thought that I thought I had to share over there with you guys. Uh, one of you made the metaphor. I can't remember at the moment exactly who, but, uh, it was during the discussion about the freedom that, uh, that people think they gain by not tying themselves down to our God. And it, you know, it made me think, and I think, I think David, you made the comment about, uh, you know, the more, the more rope you have, the, and I take that to mean the more slack in the rope that you have. Uh, it's, it's the more likely you are to strangle yourself, uh, trying to do the world by yourself. And it, it just made me think, well, I think a lot of the fear that goes behind that decision is the fear of not moving, the fear of standing still. Because if you're on a leash, then you're like, uh, a dog that's chained up in the backyard somewhere and they have their they have their parameter, or perimeter, either way. They they have that designed area, but they cannot leave that designed area. I bring it up because it's the complete opposite way with God, because even if the leash is short, God is always still moving. And therefore, if we're on his leash, we're moving with him. And he's He's moving us, so in a sense we are free because he is free to roam about the cabin, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Just tossing that thought again. Love you so, guys. Uh, love y'all. Mean it. See you at the Ark Encounter whenever we get that field trip. <laughs> <laughs> the Ark Encounter. That's awesome. Oh, man. Well, um, uh, appreciate that, Brendan. Man, that was deep. Uh did you get where he was coming from? I had no clue. Okay, so, Go so, ahead. He's, so he's basically saying that um, whenever we say that we're free, when we're bound mm-hmm. to whatever it is that we serve, what we currently are serving is a stationary, non-movable, like, so we only have a certain perimeter that we can be free in. However, right. when we're bound to God, and God is moving in the world and doing things and making a difference in people's lives, we have that freedom to move Oh, him. I get it. That makes total sense. So, yeah. And uh, <laughs> while you were talking there, it reminded me of the old Foghorn Leghorn cartoons. I say, I say, boy. Yeah, you ever watch those? Oh, yeah. Where it's like, uh, it's always the, the hound dog and the rooster that were always at each other. Right. And Foghorn Leghorn would, like, step off the... How far that the dog's rope would go. Right. And then he would draw a line so he would know... <laughs> And then he'd run over there, pick the dog up by the tail, and whack him on the rear end with a board, and then take off running. 
<laughs> get right past that light and stop. <laughs> and the dog would run up there and just choke himself yeah. on the <laughs> every time. That's great. And that's what we do, man. Amen. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, that was good. So, Oh, I did have a piece of news I was going to share. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I, I found, <laughs> this just struck me as interesting here. A company in Japan has started a strange service to help female workers deal with stress. The new service allows women to rent a guy who will wipe their tears away (laughs) and let them cry on his shoulder. (laughs) You're kidding me. When women order the uh, Ikimesu Danshi, Ikimesu Danshi, service, the men show up wherever they are and help them relax when they need it the most. There's six different types of men they can choose from. (laughs) Six different (laughs) types of men they can choose from. (laughs) Oh my gosh, this is hilarious. I wipe tears for a living. (laughs) It's my job. I'm I'm a tear wiper. All right, so hey, uh, what else? Do we want to do some trivia? We haven't done that in a while. If you want to. (laughs) Let's do it. Why, Why not? The old trivia. All right. We always seem to forget where we're at. So <laughs> we do. So let's start with the Old Testament ones. Okay. What we got? Let's see. <laughs> it's gross. All right. <laughs> it's gross, huh? It's grosser than fecal matter on your toothbrush? Not really, actually. Okay. Okay, uh, what did Moses make the sons of Israel do with the golden calf that Aaron had made? Uh, Melt it down and consume it. Eat it. Yeah. Yeah. After grinding it into a power powder, they powder. made them drink okay. it. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, it's good for you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, the the going down is easy. It's the passing of it that is ugh. Golden nuggets. Ugh, that's so gross. All right. Okay. Who said the following? Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. Hey there, Delilah. This is your ex-boyfriend, Samson. Yes. You like how I kind of throwed you for a loop by having that deep voice. That oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be, You have mocked me these three <laughs> times. <laughs> is there anyone that I can hire to wipe these tears? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. All right. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, history and geography. All right. Who led the rebellion against Abimelech? Oh, let's see. 
Who led the a rebellion against Abimelech? There's more than one of Abimelechs mm-hmm. in the Bible. You're not going to get this one. Oh, I'm not? I don't think. I, I would never get it. <laughs> um, I am going to say Shishak, the Egyptian. No. Nope. Gal. G-A-A-L. Gal? Oh, that one. Yeah, in Judges 9 that gal. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> what, I don't even know. All right. Well, you know what I can't find? Our outros. Our, sh- our outro scripts. The Theonaut Podcast is part of the Great Commission Transition. Which hey, you is, got that part going. That's all I know. The Theonaut Podcast is part of the Great Commission Transmission, <laughs> which encourages you to go throughout the world the and beat people over the head with the gospel. Great Cram Cram Mission? Something like that. <laughs> to find out more, uh, head to gctnetwork.com. That's gctnetwork.com. Yes, and learn about all our shows, including, including Finding Christ in Cinema. There are many ways that you can get in touch with us. Drop us a, a voicemail at 972-8857-3770. Drop us a line at Theonauts Podcast. Nope. No, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Theonauts at gctnetwork.com. Yes. Uh, you can visit us on Instagram at Theonautical and no at Theonauts and Twitter at Theonautical. Get us on Facebook, like us there, come visit us, Facebook.com slash Theonauts. <laughs> um, if you like Theonauts and would like even more content, go to patreon.com slash Theonauts and pay us a buck or two. Your money helps David get more lattes. <laughs> Anything else I can't remember? Yeah, yeah. 50% of what you give will go to our salary. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, I don't know. Thanks for being here, Jeremiah. Thank you, David. All right, God bless. Best outro this ever. This <laughs> podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. This is your Great Commission Transmission. This is your Great Commission Transmission. You guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks.